Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Kettle and Fire Bone Broths are one of the products that has a permanent place on my pantry shelf. As you know, I am a big fan of making food from scratch, and I love making food with bone broth as well. Caveat, assuming you can find high-quality grass-fed and finished bones. But if you're like me, you don't always have the time and or foresight to make your own bone broth from scratch. That is why I always have some Kettle and Fire on hand for when I want a quick, delicious, high-quality bone broth. Their broths are always made with organic veggies, herbs, and spices, and they only use grass-fed and finished beef bones and pasture-raised chicken bones. They never use anything artificial, no preservatives, no coloring, no flavorings, no junk ever. That is why I'm happy to be partnering with them for my podcast. They are a company that I can rely on to make high-integrity products. As a listener, you can save 25% off any of their products at kettleandfire.com. Just use code JUSTINGREDIENTS at checkout. That is kettleandfire.com, K-E-T-T-L-E-A-N-D-F-I-R-E.com. Dr. Jess left her position as a board-certified internal medicine hospitalist to chase root cause answers for her patients. After training in Gerson therapy, ozone, and at the Institute for Functional Medicine, she became an outspoken advocate for informed consent and patient education. She is so much happier helping patients heal from diseases they were told were irreversible life sentences, and she realized that wellness is not too difficult for the layperson to fully comprehend. As a functional medicine doctor, her one-on-one consults helped thousands of people, but after curing a year-long waitlist and repeating herself on most consults, she began to realize that she could help so many more people in a group setting and with a unique platform. Dr. Jess teaches that the root cause of disease is usually not just one thing, but a combination of environmental toxicities and pathogens. While her teachings and programs have been successful, even with the most difficult of patients, health is ultimately in your hands. Her goal is to make you confident, vibrant, and healthier in mind, body, and spirit through education. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jess. I am so excited to have you. I have followed you on Instagram for a long time, and I'm excited to finally meet you and have you here. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm actually honored. I feel the same way about your Instagram. I feel like we've known each other, quote unquote, for years online. So it's really nice to finally have a podcast with you. Well, thank you so much. So tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got started in functional medicine. Yeah, it's, a, it's been a wild ride, actually. Um, I started out at the University of Louisville, Kentucky. I was born in West Virginia, um, and Kentucky is my adult life, and really didn't know anything different than conventional medicine. I went to school there. I went to residency in internal medicine there, and really was out working as a hospitalist, which is a doc that admits all kind of varieties of conditions from the emergency department. And it's kind of the quarterback of the team. So I did that for almost seven years before there started to be, I guess you would call it cracks in the system for me. I just started to ask questions and really be met with a lot of resistance. And that didn't seem right to me at the time. I I was asking things like, um, you know, why do you have oil and sugar and vegetable oil and processed dairy and, you know, uh, factory farm meats in the cafeteria for patients who have cancer. 
Why do we have Coca-Cola and Pepsi contracts? Why is that necessary? And then, you know, I would be upset that patients were on 50 different medications or had been on something like Prilosec, which is a proton pump inhibitor for, you know, six years, seven years. And that's just symptom management. That's not getting to the root cause of anything. And it really, it started to eat away at me so much. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. They didn't like that though. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) They, They did not love it. They actually called me disruptive and set me down and said, you know, if you're going to continue to be a disruptive physician, you can't work for us anymore. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we have primary care doctors complaining that you wrote this patient was on this drug for six years and they're the ones who put him on it. And I said, if that's the way this system works, then I have to quit. I worked very hard at doing that. Luckily for me, I was in a unique position where I didn't have kids. I didn't have a whole lot of debt other than school loans, which are a big debt for doctors, but that's it. And so I was able to transition over to a more holistic root cause path, which is now much more fulfilling and satisfying for me. Oh, that's such an interesting story. Thank you for sharing that. Now on your Instagram, you talk a lot about mold, parasites, things like that. And I want to ask you just a ton of questions about these. Let's start with mold toxicity. That's sort of a new trendier topic that people are talking about. So first of all, what are the signs and symptoms of mold toxicity? How would someone know that they even had mold toxicity? That's a great question because what I've seen with mold toxicity is it can be a catch-all depending on a person's unique gene. Uh, There can be a lot of different things that harm people's DNA or our genes, but when pushed and expressed through our specific DNA, it may look like an autoimmune cancer to one person and a cancer or autoimmune disease to one person and a cancer to another. So mold can cause a lot of different diagnoses or labels, if you will. But the beginning of mold toxicity, there's a few specific symptoms that people should look for. And you guys may be asking, where do I get mold toxicity? Usually a water damaged house. And you don't have to see it to get it. It's usually behind walls. Some people smell it if they're very sensitive. Other people will have allergy-like symptoms, you know, post-nasal drip, sneezing, um, headache. And those people usually aren't the really sensitive people to mold. The really sensitive people will start to have brain fog, difficulty with clarity of speech or word finding problems. They may have static shocks on the skin. They may have difficulty holding their urine or be thirsty all the time, almost like a diabetic. They may have a lot of weight gain or weight loss, depending on the person. They can may come out with outright autoimmune disorder symptoms or diagnoses because of this exposure over time. So I have to tell you, my son, this was a few years ago, for like six months, we thought he had these really bad allergies and tried allergy medicines, didn't help. Then we're like, okay, maybe he has this cold. Well, gave him like immune boosting things and the cold just never went away. And finally, the doctor was like, do you think you have mold anywhere in your house? So I had a mold specialist come out. Long story short, they found mold coming from my shower, his bedroom's below mine. And so it was in the ceiling. So when they cut open the ceiling, there was a ton of mold and we had no idea. So it, it is hard to know if you have mold toxicity because it just looks like a lot of other things. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't mean anything about your cleanliness or how nice your house is. It doesn't mean any of that. It's really having to do with modern building day practices. You know, drywall, when it gets wet, that really doesn't dry very easily. That's the ironic part of that name. Um, And a lot of the different 
mold species, they love the cellulose content of drywall. And then we have a lot of toxic adhesives and paints and things that we're throwing in there. So it's like a toxic hot box that is just the perfect place for mold to grow if anything gets wet. That's so interesting. So what exactly is mold and what part of the mold is actually making us sick? That's a great question. I like to compare mold to yeast because people are a lot more familiar with yeast. Um, candida, yeast, they say, oh yeah, I know what that is. So yeast is unicellular. It only has one cell. Mold is multicellular. And they form these, um, <clears throat> and it is a fungus. It forms these filaments or spores. And the filaments are like hyphae. So they're thread-like structures that can hang in the air. The spores also can hang in the air. So they're easily breathed into our sinus cavities and nasal passages where they can stick and cause an immune reaction. The part that makes us sick are what we call volatile organic compounds. Mold has this quality where we think from competing for food with different species, they produce this defense mechanism called volatile organic compounds that are actually very toxic to our genes and our DNA. And certain people are more sensitive than others. So it's actually the same thing that's found in a lot of paints and adhesives. Molds are making similar VOCs. I was just going to say, most people might know those as VOCs um, because there are air filters out there that will get rid of VOCs in your home. Okay, now is there a test people can take to know if they have mold toxicity or no? For the body or for the home? Oh, well, let's say the body. Yeah, that's these always a good question. So for the body, absolutely. I will give you guys a little disclaimer for it too. Yes, there's a urine test for those of you guys who don't like needles. It is a urine test. And Great Plains Lab makes one. Vibrant makes one I really, really love. Um, there's even some mold immune tests that you can look at as well. Mycofix, I believe is the name of it. And so there's a number of different ways you can test for mold. They all run about $300 or so. Um, and take about two weeks to three weeks to come back. But I will give you a disclaimer about the tests first and foremost, is that obviously you have to be able to dump the spores out in your urine to get an accurate mm. test, right? So if you're not, if you're holding on to spores and your drainage pathways aren't open, you can't sweat, you can't go to the bathroom properly, chances are you're probably not gonna let go of the spores in your urine very well either. And so then you may get a false negative test. Okay, since you asked about the home, I know listeners are going to be like, wait, is there a test for the home as well? There is. There's a number of them, actually. And you'll hear a lot of people who work on homes say, oh, I did an air analysis test. And they're just really, I really recommend an ERMI test. It's not approved by the EPA, but it is developed by the EPA. And ERMI stands for Environmental Relative Moldy Index. And this is a test that um, will have you sweep, we'll have you do air samples, and we'll send in and come back with a report that has a number at the bottom. And it'll tell you if you get a good ERMI report, some of them will educate you on some of the mold spores so you're not flying blind. Um, some of them will just give you a number and you'll like, I don't even know what this means. I need a doctor to help me interpret it. And then there are tests, an ERMI test that's a little bit of an upgraded ERMI test that looks for gram-negative bacteria in the home too, which can also grow if there's water damage. And we often don't think about the bacteria that can grow. Hmm. So I really like Envirobiomedics. It's a really bad name, but um, Envirobiomedics. And they look for gram-negative bacteria and mold in the home. If you want a little more education, there's a test called the EMMA test by Real-Time Labs. 
And the Emma test gives you a little paragraph about each spore. So it helps to educate you on which spores are really toxic and which ones aren't. Okay. So talking about mold being toxic or not, are there mold that are safe that we don't need to worry about? Yeah. You know, some of the molds don't infect humans as much. Some of them are more plant molds, uh, plant sterile molds. You know, some of them grow on just fruits and veggies more and don't really, aren't really known to cause human disease. I would caution in saying that the field of um, mycology and mycotoxins in general is relatively new. And so we don't know a whole lot about all of the spores yet. Um, But we do think that there are many of them that don't infect humans. That's true. Talking about mitotoxins, it's sort of a trendy word out there these days also. What exactly is that? A mycotoxin. So it's actually um, the toxin or the VOC produced by the mold spore. So it's actually the toxin that makes us sick. I know that some illnesses are related to mold in the home. So I'm just going to go through a list of illnesses and you tell me if they can be uh, (laughs) due to mold. So let's start with depression and anxiety. Someone that's dealing with depression or anxiety, could mold be one of their root causes? Yes, absolutely. I wish I could like flip my screen and show everyone a PowerPoint I did on mold where it was, I think a 2007 study where they, it was, they called it groundbreaking. They couldn't believe it in the study that this was the conclusion. They found major depressive disorder linked to mold in the home, actually. That's interesting. Not something that many get tested for when they're dealing with depression. Absolutely not. I mean, honestly, I can think of so many reasons people have depression, mold being a big one. um, And and it's usually something in the environment that's triggering the body. And yet we're told, oh, it's just a neurotransmitter problem. Okay. What about infertility? Does mold play a role in infertility? Absolutely. There's actually a couple mold species or mycotoxins, if you'll call them. One is called xerlinone. And it produces, it's made by the mold fusarium. And xerlinone is an actual known, absolutely known in all the studies to be an um, endocrine disruptor. And it binds to estrogen receptors and it causes hyperestrogen or estrogen dominance in all kinds of animals, all kinds of cows, pigs that are fed moldy maize or corn will develop like a hypervulva syndrome. Like their vulva on their vagina will get very big because they have so much estrogen dominance in utero. Um, And we've seen it in women too. And so you can imagine what happens to women if they have an estrogen dominance or their hormones ratios are way off. They're going to have trouble carrying a pregnancy to term or getting pregnant in general. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, this blows my mind because depression, infertility, I know they can have so many different root causes. So this is important for people then to go check mold as well. You know, this is knowledge is power, right? This is something they can go ask their practitioner. Okay, another one. What about autoimmunity issues? Absolutely. We've connected, you know, something like Graves' disease. Graves' disease is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid where it's hyperthyroidism. And they have the same genotype that people who are sensitive to mold have, which is HLA-DR. These people definitely have trouble with Lyme, with sick building syndrome, with mold, and then problems with thyroid autoimmunity, which is very common, like one in three women. We also have connected mold to things like sarcoidosis. 
as well as rheumatoid arthritis. We also connected Lyme to that. So there are a number of autoimmune conditions that we suspect, even lupus. Um, lupus, you can make antiphospholipid antibodies from mold exposure. You can make gluten antibodies from mold exposure. So people often have not celiac, but uh, non-celiac gluten hypersensitivity. Really? Just from mold toxicity in their body? Correct. That is really interesting. <laughs> Next one. I saw this on a list somewhere, so I'm curious to know. <laughs> SIDS. Is that really related to mold? So pediatrics is a bit out of my wheelhouse, but I definitely think that that's a possibility. I can't tell you the science, like a quoted study, like I've been doing with the other ones, but I can see how that would definitely be a possibility. They've also connected that to vaccines as well. What about asthma-like symptoms? Oh yes, absolutely. So one of the things I'll tell mamas is, hey, if your kid you know, was fine, no breathing problems and got diagnosed with this asthma that seemed to come out of the blue, or they were potty trained and they started bedwetting again, that's a surefire sign that you need to look for a mold in your home. Okay. Any other illnesses that you would say are related to mold? Yes. Alzheimer's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Inhalational type three Alzheimer's a paper, I think in 2017 or 18 has connected and linked the two as well. So it makes sense a lot of, you know, breathing in into your sinus cavities, right? So a lot of neurodegenerative conditions. So now I'm curious, is there a relationship between mold and EMFs? I've been hearing that there is. What is that Great relationship? Question. Great question. So this is a lot of science that people don't understand. So I'm going to try and break it down for people so they can understand it because we're not taught this, you know, we're not taught about abnormal frequencies. We're not taught to think about it, to question it. And even to do so is almost conspiracy like nowadays. So, you know, you have these abnormal frequencies. We like to call it electrostatic smog. This is a lot of just, you know, if you live in a big city, you have a lot of different Wi-Fi networks you can pick up. You have a lot of dirty wiring in houses as well. And so all this counts, guys, just because you can't see a frequency doesn't mean it doesn't affect you. And what I had some researchers at the Klinghart Institute published was that there was a mold Petri dish placed near a Wi-Fi router at 2.4 gigahertz, which is what our Wi-Fi routers today are at. And the mold growth exploded 600 times near that abnormal frequency. And we have studies that are published. This is not woo-woo. These are published studies that show that certain bacteria like E. coli um, or listeria can grow out of the boundary of the Petri dish when placed near these abnormal frequencies and that antibiotics did not work as well. They actually had antibiotic resistance that was easier built up around these abnormal frequencies. So we really don't have the research behind this. I would also you know, like to bring Reinhold, I think is her last name. She does the company, We Are Not Sam. And what that is referring to is that when these people test these Wi-Fi routers and things, they test it near a big dummy head that's made out of plastic. And that's how they test Wi-Fi and make sure it's safe for human brains. Huh. It's, it's just filled with liquid. It, it's nothing close to what a human or a human child's head looks like. And so this is how our tests are run on these, making sure smartphones are safe for us. And so there's all these abnormal frequencies out there. We have no idea how mold relates to them. We have no idea how a lot of other bacteria or viruses 
relate to them. And so if you live in a city and you're one of those people whose genes are sensitive to mold and sick building syndrome and water damaged buildings, be careful because you are exposed to a lot of abnormal frequencies that you can't see. And I absolutely have seen EMF hypersensitivity in people and I don't discredit those people. Why would you do that to patients? Right. So now I know my listeners are probably thinking two things. One, how do I get mold out of my house? And two, is there a way to heal from this? How do I heal from mold? Yes, I want people, even if you're very sensitive, you totally can heal. We live in a very toxic environment and your body is really smart. It's warning you there's toxicities that you're picking up, you're breathing or on your skin that we're eating that you can't see. And I'm so good, I'm warning you. So don't ever curse your body if you're someone that's sensitive that way because it's smarter than a lot of other bodies. And yeah, you guys can always heal. If you think you have mold in your house, I recommend just getting, you know, if you don't have a doctor right away and you can't get a mold test for your body, just grab one, an ERMI test from Enviro Biomedics or real-time labs and test your home. You can get it back in a week or two. And if you find something, then the bad news is this is the worst part of my job is telling people you have mold in your house because it's not cheap and there's not an easy way past it except through it. And so I really recommend you get someone who knows the detriment of mold. You don't want to get someone working on your house that doesn't understand that mold has made you ill because they'll just open it up, let spores out. They won't understand that everything porous has to be cut out of the home for you to be safe. They can't cut corners and a lot of them will. So make sure you find someone really smart in mold. I like, um, we inspect that's a national company through mold finders, but there are lots of people who are great out there. The mold medic is another one who's great. So these people are really well educated and can look in your house, can cut out the porous things. There are air filters you guys can get on your own. A hyper HEPA or HEPA plus um, along with a carbon or charcoal filter is really great. And then I really love ASEAT, which uses photocatalytic oxidation, which absolutely destroys the mold spores. These are two great options. And then how do you heal? Well, first and foremost, I don't ever put anyone on a detox unless I know that their body is prepped and ready for it. And that usually means opening drainage pathways, which you heard me mention earlier. And what that means is that we need to make sure that everything you should be doing on a daily basis, your organs and your body is functioning properly. You can sweat if I put you in a sauna, you're going to the bathroom, you're pooping one to three times per day and they're relatively normal. You're not seeing like your food in them. You need to make sure you can handle a little bit of alcohol or caffeine without it throwing you off for three days. Can you fast without getting homicidal? All of these things need to, I need to make sure you can handle many stresses on the body because if you can't, you won't handle a detox well. Once we get you to that point, then I give you something sticky to pull mold binders out or mold spores out. It's called a binder. And usually combine that with sweating as well as working on your liver and your energy. And then most people bounce back as long as there's not an exposure we're missing. Good to know. So your binders are a supplement that they take. Correct. Yes. And there are a number of different binders. Most people are like, what's a binder? You guys have probably heard of activated charcoal or a bentonite or zeolite clay. Those are three binders, which are decent, right? Um, Fulvic and humic acids are another great binders that help to turn on really supportive pathways in the body as well. But should people just go get a binder or should they be working with a doctor to first see if their body can handle a binder? 
unless you're a pro at detoxing, I would definitely try and work with a professional because you know, you can take a binder and get really constipated and then nothing will be fun. Unless you're, you know, your body intimately, you're connected to your body. You know, when things are running properly, when I say drainage pathways, you're like, oh yeah, mine are open or I have no idea. That's a good kind of temperature gauge as to where you are and if you should work with someone. Do you think food can help with the mold toxicity? Can food bind as well and bring it out? Some things, yes. Actually, fiber is a really great natural binder, like something like psyllium husk or, you know, just really fibrous, fiber rich foods in general. They have a, it has a sweeping action in the GI tract. So it helps move cholesterol along, it helps to move our bowels, and it helps to naturally move toxicities and pathogens out as well. So uh, a fiber rich diet, if your guts can handle it, make sure you drink plenty of water, it'll have the opposite effect. Right. <laughs> but that's, that's really helpful for some people. Yes. Even, you know, things like pectin, citrus pectin, apple pectin, these are really lovely binders that are given to children sometimes because they work and they come from foods. Well, fiber can help so many things, not just mold, but yet most Americans are so low on fiber. So this is just one more reason why we <laughs> should all up our fiber. Yes, you heard it here first, you guys. Up your fiber. It's a, I mean, there are books written about how people need to just eat more fiber. Right. Those fruits and vegetables. Okay. Thank you for answering all that about mold. Let's move to the next topic, parasites. Um, I've seen you talk about parasites on Instagram. I've even seen some pictures of some parasites that are actually really gross, I think. What are the most common parasites that you see in patients? We don't really know a lot of times because they're so, testing is so inaccurate for most people. If I'm going to catch something though um, on a PCR test, which obviously has some some drawbacks, um, it misses them a lot, a lot, a lot. I see a lot of blastocystis, hominis. That's a big one that infects the gut. There's also a connection to the thyroid with that one. So I actually think that one's a lot more common than we think it is. Every now and then I'll see some worms um, and some people, some tapeworms can be common. And there's a number of different types and names of those. Liver flukes are very common in people too. Just for anybody out there who likes to geek out, they kind of look like rolled up carrot. And then um, there's a number of different ones that we can see with people. Usually, I got to tell you, though, most of the testing is inaccurate, especially the conventional testing is really rarely, rarely, rarely going to pick up a a parasite. So are parasites common in people more so than people think? Yes, absolutely. We think that about 60 to 80% of people at some point in their life will have a parasite. And you got to think about, you know, that one time you got that weird stomach something when you're out of the country, more than likely that's a parasite you picked up. And so people don't understand that we get these very easily from things like sushi, dogs or animal, other animals licking us in the face, just having a sensitive gut that isn't a very good protector all the time. Let's see, we had a lot of antibiotics or something as a child. It makes you a little bit more vulnerable to things like this. And so if our tests are inaccurate, most people are going to chalk it up to a bacteria or some sort of virus, or just, you know, I have SIBO. A lot of times I think SIBO's underlying root causes parasites as well, because you have to ask what let that overgrowth happen in the first place. Oh, that's interesting. Cause a lot of people do deal with SIBO. So are there signs and symptoms of a parasite infection or it just differs? 
No, I have some really good questions that I feel are even a little more accurate than a lot of the testing for, for who has a parasite. Things that w- will make sense when I tell you, but at first you're kind of kind of, you should see people's faces when I ask these questions because they seem seemingly unrelated completely. So things like, do you grind your teeth at night? A lot of people will say no to that. So you have to even ask further do you have sore jaws in the morning, TMJ, clicking, anything like that can be a sign that there's something off here. Infected root canals, mercury fillings, anything here can be a little bit of a risk factor as well. Are you worse around full moons? Insomnia and anxiety mostly, but it can be a myriad of symptoms. Um, And the reason that is, is because around the full moon, there's a big moon in the sky. So you don't make as much melatonin, you make more serotonin. Serotonin is kind of parasites party food. It makes them more mobile and active and they're nocturnal. So this happens at night, they're moving around. So you may see a lot of muscle twitches, fasciculations. This is a stress on the body. So you're clenching and grinding your teeth at night while you're asleep. A lot of people have intermittent rectal or anal itching for no reason. Um, They may have sore muscles for no reason. They may have a lactose or dairy allergy is a big one. Um, that often can resolve when the parasitic infection is taken care of. So there's a number of different symptoms that people can have. And a lot of women will have really, really horrible cycles where they can't get out of bed. They're like throwing up. It's the worst pain they've ever had. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that could be due to a parasite. Absolutely. Are there any reliable tests for parasites or not really? You know, I think probably the most reliable thing would be kind of expensive. And I say the GI map, it's the PCR test. But as you know, from modern day, their PCR test really isn't accurate a lot, especially if a certain number of revolutions aren't done to pick up what is truly there. But the PCR test by GI map, as well as maybe three tests for ova and parasites. This is a stool test that's done by conventional medicine. Just one of them has really, really poor sensitivity and specificity. But if you can do it over the course of a week, three times, you can maybe get more accuracy on that task combined with a GI map. Okay. It's very difficult. So are parasites more common in kids or adults or in both? So both, actually. It just depends on the person's immune system and their exposures. Really, if you're someone that eats sushi, you know, a few times a week, you probably have a poor stomach, you're probably at higher risk than someone else. Kids can be at risk, especially if they're in daycare and have a really poor diet. Um, Pinworms are extremely contagious. I've seen families pass them around amongst each other for months, actually. You know, kids, if they do catch something like that, you're looking at kind of the long haul. But I would say that both can have them. It just depends. Okay, so if you do have a parasite, what do you suggest someone does? Yeah, good question. So I always start everyone with opening drainage pathways. Like I mentioned before with mold, we have to sort of prep your body to make sure it's ready. I've just heard horror stories. I don't know if you have too, Carolyn. I've heard of horror stories of people who start, you know, parasite cleanses, detoxes, you know, whatever, killing SIBO, and they just feel like they have the flu. Mm -hmm. They're miserable, right? And they have to stop can't make it. And so I really don't want to do that to people, want them to like me. So (laughs) I I try to 
take a month just to prep someone. And most people feel, you know, 50 to 80% of the way better just from opening them up properly. And so I start people there. Does your liver work? Are you pooping? Can you sweat? All of these things. Do you have good energy? Sleep well? All of these are important questions to answer before throwing you on a detox. Then when you're ready, I really like mimosa pudica seed. It's a very sticky seed from India and it is very good at um, kind of uh, scrubbing and pulling things in the gut. And it actually can go beyond the gut as well. Um, then there's some really nice anti-parasitic herbs. You want to look for ones that are able to go intracellular too. So 30% of parasites are inside the cells and they're microscopic. You'll never see them. Oh, and wow. so we have to yeah, we have to, they're very stealthy, you know? And so that's why COVID behaves a little bit like a parasite. It's intracellular like that. And so we have to have things that can get inside the cell to kill parasites if we suspect that. Things like wormwood or artemisian, sweet annie, cloves do a pretty good job, mimosa pudica. All of these things are able to get inside the cell to get parasites. And so really you guys need something just, sticky to pull things out because most people are sick because of what's stuck inside their body that doesn't belong there. Okay. So again, with mold, does food help in any way? Again, I'm assuming it's going to be fiber. That's just going to help pass some of this or no? With parasites, they're so stealthy. You may be able to get some of them with food, you know, some good things like um, oregano, garlic, onions. There are some things that really have some properties that broccoli sprouts that can turn on natural pathways in your body or have killing action of their own. But it's going to be difficult because depending on the person, if you have a mild parasite infection, you just got it, you just traveled somewhere or something came down with something, but you're generally in good health, something like that may kick it. But if you're someone who the parasites have gotten on top of a lot of your natural defense systems, you may not absorb half the food you're eating. And that's a problem. And that's due to inflammation in the body and your drainage pathways being kind of blocked and stagnant. And so with those people that won't work, we really have to get, go full bore with them and give them killing herbs, but they can't do it with everyone. They have to be in a place where they can handle it. And that's the difficult kind of teeter totter game that we play. And that's why they need to work with a doctor to make sure that their body is ready for this stuff. Correct. Yeah. If you guys are really sick and like, I'm talking about the liver and the bowels and the sweat and you're like, I can't do any of that. I have horrible energy too. You know, we, you really have to start at ground one, you know, base level and work your way up and you need a guide to help you. You probably all disconnected with your, from your body when all that's gone down, unfortunately. Do you think that a lot of the health issues out there may be due to mold and parasites, but they get skipped over? Absolutely. A lot of the things that cause disease get skipped over, you know, because the pathogens aren't attracted to normal tissue. They're attracted to disease tissue. Why do so many people have disease tissue? It's because of toxins, it's because of man-made toxicities and pesticides, plastics, water damaged homes, all these things. And if we didn't have all of that, the pathogens wouldn't be able to overtake our immune systems like they have. So I think the toxins are overlooked. I think mold and parasites are overlooked. I think trauma is overlooked and stress. Yeah, right. everything. A lot of stuff that maybe in conventional medicine will get skipped over. So it's so important to find the root causes of the illnesses. 
Yeah. So it it makes people feel so much better and they can understand it. Are there any other tips regarding mold or parasites that you want to share? You know, I just want to say, if you feel like you're suffering from this, conventional medicine will tell you, we don't know, or they may tell you there's not a cure and don't give up because your body's really smart. It's not giving up on you. And I really want people to understand that they can get their life back and that they can heal. They just have to have someone who gives them the right recipe and is the right guide and will listen to them. The guy's biggest job is to find a doctor who listens and resonates with you. Which can be hard to do. It took me two years to find a good doctor that would help me heal. They are out there, people. Just keep trying. Go to doctor after doctor till you find a good one that you like. That's right. And, you know, ask around and we need a good doctor directory. That's what we need. We need a good doctors that listen to their patients directory. There you go. Well, (laughs) and one doctor might be great for one illness and one person, but maybe some other person's illnesses is not their specialty. And so it's not a one size fits all. So that's why I think it takes a while to find that right doctor. I'm glad you found somebody. I am too. Okay. Tell my listeners where they can find you and find more on all of this great information. Sure. So I always say I have tiers to how you can interact with me. Um, If you guys are looking for a lot of free information, I'm pretty active on social media. So there you can find me on Instagram as Dr. Period Jess Period MD, Dr. Jessica Petros on Facebook. Um, if you guys are looking to interact a little more with me, um, I have a website that's free. I have a Killbine Sweat and how to do my trademark protocol there. I have a bunch of FAQs that people on Instagram asked me and I answered questions for them. So that's at www.drjessmd.com. Finally, if you would like personal attention, a forum where I answer you, educational courses, root cause quickies, and webinars, that's my app on my website, and that's app.drjessmd.com. You do offer a lot of free education, which I love, and something I forgot to ask you about, and you just reminded me, so I'm going to ask you now. You talk a lot about kill bind sweat on your Instagram website, things like that. Will you just explain to my listeners what that is and why it's so important? Yeah, absolutely. So this is for people who feel like, you know, you guys have some sort of yeast, SIBO, parasites, and maybe you're wondering how to get started. I really love Killbine Sweat, but it's for people whose drainage pathways are open. So Kill represents taking an herbal antimicrobial. I've mentioned a few of them, oil, oregano, wormwood, cloves, things like that waiting about 20 minutes, taking a binder, which we talked about. And then sweat is obviously getting in a sauna or working out whatever your forte is. And so that's the Killbind sweat trademark. And just that alone really is able to make so many people feel better. And it's really empowering people to be their own best doctor too. Sort of a type of detox. Yes. I know my listeners might be thinking, well, how do I know if my drainage passageways are open? So purely if you can sweat, right? And go to the bathroom one to three times. Those are the main ones. That's not screening the liver. The liver is a little more complicated to screen and welcome to America where most people have trouble with that one. However, Killbine sweat usually won't get too many people that way. If you could sweat and go to the bathroom, you have pretty good energy. You should tolerate it really well. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they think the best ingredient in life is, what they have found to be the best ingredient. The best ingredient in life, I think, is honestly forgiveness. Oh, I love that. 
That's the hardest one for a lot of people. And I think the most rewarding. I so agree. It's a hard one to do. That's for sure. It takes a long time sometimes to actually forgive, but you just feel so much better. It's like this huge weight off of your shoulders when you do it. Yeah, it's a gift for you, actually. Well, and I know you've had a lot of trials in your life and lots of things that you've had to forgive others for. So work in progress. You're a great example of it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here on the show. And thank you for just teaching about mold and parasites because it is becoming a trendier topic. I want people to know like, hey, if you're suffering with some of these illnesses, maybe is it mold or parasite? Have you talked to your doctor about this? So I just wanted their eyes to be opened a little bit as to maybe this is one of your root causes. So thank you for just explaining the basics of it. And I really appreciate you being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.